0: You want a bit of the old Canadian violence, eh? Well, you've come to the right place, because today we got that in spades. As today we're talking about a match featuring the entire peak 1997 incarnation of the Hart Foundation, the living embodiment of our neighbor to the north. They're strong, they're rough, and they're a family. They have that stink of superiority, but have the record legacy of gold to back it up. They're practically the Canadian national ice hockey team. They may not have all grown up in Hart House, but they've spent enough time there that they've become hardened, and this is one of the biggest homecomings in wrestling history. The Harts had been running through the WWF like a hot knife through butter, and their leader, Brett, had a particular issue with the fastest rising star in the business, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin represented everything vile about the United States in Brett's mind, and he let the fans know. The problem was that most of the shows the WWF runs take place in the United States in front of American fans who thought Brett was just a whiner. Well, that's not the case with the match we're talking about today, where Brett and the Hart Foundation arrive as the conquering fan favorites, the hometown heroes from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. That's right. I told you we're going to be talking about some Canadian violence today, because today we're talking about a giant 10 man tag team main event, Kirk Foundation versus Team Austin, at one of our favorite shows of the 90s, in your house,
1: Canadian Stampede. Mm. Welcome to The Best There Ever Was, the podcast where we talk about the art form that is pro-wrestling and the emotional connection that keeps us coming back. As always, I'm Chris. I'm um, And we are the Curtain Jerks. And on this season of The Best There Ever Was, we're discussing great Canadians. And on this episode of the podcast, we are discussing the greatest great Canadians. Canadians. Yeah. Maybe the most Canadian moment in wrestling history. It's got to be. I mean, I Heart don't even Foundation. know. Yeah, I don't the,
0: I don't even know what two would be, quite frankly. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, I'm yeah. U- unclear. The Heart Foundation, Trish
0: Stratus at Summerslam, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, like yeah. that's that's the next thing that comes to mind
1: for me. The Premier of Alberta is front row for this. Match. Premier,
0: yeah, I mean, so for those that don't know, I mean, that's essentially the governor, governor, yeah, right, of of, of Alberta, and there's not that many provinces, no, right? So it's far even less like, than
1: there are states. Yeah,
0: I mean, so this is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and Brett- he's sitting right next to Helen Hart Helen, <laughs> like
1: he's in the front row with the actual non-wrestling members of the Hart family yes it's Bret Hart, Owen Hart the British Bulldog, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, and the Loose Cannon Brian Pillman the Hart Foundation against Steve Austin's team of himself Ken Shamrock, Goldust and the Legion of Doom in your house, Canadian Stampede and to mm, go mm, deep mm, in with mm. us on this most Canadian of Canadian moments Canadian oh, yeah. wrestling moments we have our friend, Doc Diamondfire, how are you doing?
2: Hey, doing good. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. I am not Canadian myself. I've been to Toronto once, and I was a, <laughs> a, a big Bret Hart fan uh, when I was a kid in New York. So I'm very yeah. happy to be here for this.
1: Yeah, as a big Bret Hart fan, I think that makes you as Canadian as possibly can be. That's really all you need for well, to be a true Canadian.
2: You know, n- New York City is the city of the world, and, and you can really identify as any place around the world if you just hang around long enough, uh, <laughs> definitely, you know, a lot of Canadians. Uh, a lot and of we, Canadians We get snow.
0: We've got three hockey teams within a few miles. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. like we, We've got some of the, that juice. People drink a lot.
2: I was, at, um, I was at WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden, and a notable Canadian whose name escapes me won the world yeah. title. <laughs> and yeah. you know, it was such an emotional moment. There was a guy next to me who said he was from Canada. Uh, I talked to him for about one minute. He didn't move or make a noise the entire show. And then when the title change happens, he smiled a little, nodded a little, and then that was it. The guy on the other side of me just hugged me. I'd never met him before and uh, I hugged him back. It was great there. But
1: you know, that guy that next to you that was, wasn't moving. There's some son out there was like, that was more than he ever did at my little league games.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Because that
1: man was Kenny Omega's father. Yeah, (laughs)
2: Yeah. That's as sad as it is accurate. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, suck, tell us about your history as a wrestling fan. What got you into it? What keeps Uh, you coming back? Yeah. Well, um, I first started watching the wrestling, uh, I guess when I was 10 years old, Mm. um, uh, It wasn't the prime time to start watching wrestling. Um, It was was either the Hogan era or then the Attitude era. Well, this was in the early 90s. Uh, But that happened to be when everyone in my elementary school started watching wrestling. I think it was because... Uh, the Nintendo Power cover of WWF WrestleMania came out and everyone started watching it. So I don't think that that didn't work as a promotional material. Well, (laughs)
0: and and like wrestling with like elementary school and middle school kids Mm -hmm. is is like chicken pox. Like one kid has to get it first and then the rest of it. So sometimes, you know, chicken pox just doesn't hit your town until later.
2: Well, you know, people are like, oh, it's fake. And then someone says, well, let me put you in the figure four leg lock. And that learns people up pretty quickly <laughs> if you do it right. But um, not
1: a ring post figure four, because no. that actually wouldn't work.
2: No, that looks spectacular. But uh, that's, that's a whole other story. Bret Hart well, was quite the innovator.
0: And, and I think that t- talking about the Nintendo power, I think, is key, because that's yeah. like I think our generation's thing, too, is like, who gives a shit if it's fake or not? Because there's video games for it. The video game's definitely real. I want to, you know, <laughs> I want to be Bret Hart and I want to put a sharpshooter on my brother as, as Ted DiBiase or whatever,
2: well, you, you know? know? you know, I, I grew up before that. Like, my parents were anarchists in the experimental theater around the world. Like, I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff just done, like street theater. You know, I participated when I was a little kid. Like, let's all go to Prospect Park, and then the 20 of us are going to spend seven minutes slowly dying as though there was a gas attack, and then two people are going to stack us into a pyramid and talk about the evils of capitalism. So when I saw wrestling and someone said to me, that's not quite on the up and up, I invited them to see stuff like that, and <laughs> yeah. they didn't. And like, but I knew what wrestling was. The first time I saw a guy grab another guy by the wrist and then pat him on the back, and then the other guy was uncontrolled running back and forth to uh, and it's something that i say on on my show you know uh, wrestlers in the business get, get some torque on your irish whips it doesn't hurt <laughs> anybody and if you don't you don't look you don't look like you know what you're doing yeah, uh, yeah and i'm not the greatest wrestler in the world but i can get some torque on my irish whip come on
1: mm. well yes that, so what led you to because you are have been involved in the press yeah, wrestling yeah. business what, what right. sort of led you to to do that like what about so, your fandom brought you there
2: I guess I got a little uh, a little off there. Uh, but right, so when I was a kid, I went to Madison Square Garden to see the house shows. They were still running house shows every, like, two or three months. I'd go see Bret Hart defend the title. Um, the most notable thing, I guess, I saw was the curtain call. I didn't Ooh. know I didn't know what the hell was going on. Most people yeah. didn't, like, I'm sure. I, yeah. I kind of got from the last three years Did of story. Did you take the fan cam no, like, no, no. I was too busy screaming. Uh, we were all wondering, me and my friends, why Triple H was out there. Because even yeah. though, like, you know, <laughs> good guy, bad guy, we got Shawn Michaels and Diesel and Razor Ramon had been involved with each other for years. So, cool. Uh, we later learned. Anyway, as I got older, you know, the Attitude Era happened and wrestling was very popular. And I already knew Triple was H wasn't a jobber you know. anymore. Oh, yeah, no, Triple <laughs> or H. Carter, won- I guess. He won a few matches over yeah. the years. <laughs> Just a couple. Just, Just a, couple. a couple. He ended
0: up doing okay. In, he did in the okay business. for
2: himself. And... Uh, when uh, kind of a wrestling's version of like Crisis on Infinite Earths happened, and WCW folded, and ECW folded, and the best of them all went to the WWE, and there was no room for anybody new, so something had to give. Uh, me and my friends started going to indie shows in the area in Queens. He's like five hour long, like USA Pro shows. I know. Hell yes, USA Pro. USA shows. USA Pro shows were interminable, <laughs> and by the end,
1: you're like, because oh you're waiting for the old stars, right? You're waiting right. for like. I was waiting Balls to see Balls Mahoney and Bam Bam Big, yeah, and Balls uh, yeah. Mahoney and El Snow, main uh, eventing. Balls was great. Um, yeah, and they weren't even that old yet. No, <laughs> they were
2: just they were reasonably young at the time. Yeah. Balls looked pretty old. <laughs> well, um, you know. Yeah, the first one I went to, the main event, which was not on the DVD release, because I believe because Al Snow is still under WWE contract, was Al Snow versus Loki. And Ooh. I had heard of Loki. I'd actually seen Loki at a WWF house show, and I, I didn't know who he was, but I knew that there were two guys behind me who knew who he was. He came out for his match with I Don't Know. And they were talking about, oh, that's Loki. He's a local guy. Jim Ross told him he's too little, but he should keep coming by because he's so good. And (laughs) maybe he could get something. And one friend of mine was telling me about a move he had heard of called the Phoenix Splash. And then Loki just does it. He's Mm -hmm. like, that's what it is. Oh, this guy, right? Um, Anyway, so we went to a few of those shows, me and my friends. And we thought, there's got to be something better than this on the (laughs) Indies. And we heard of Ring of Honor. And we started going to Ring of Honor shows. like The first Ring of Honor show I went to was the third uh, Samoa Joe CM Punk match. And we had heard that these guys had had no time time limit match after having two time limit draws, which means, okay, these are indies that aren't just trying to emulate ECW. And I got deep into that fandom. And what I found was there were a a lot of people full of hatred (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, who thought they knew everything about the wrestling business, and I was becoming one of them. And I thought, the only way I can actually know anything more about the wrestling business is to go into the wrestling business. This is not what I want to pursue. So I found, uh, I had known that Johnny Rods was training people. And I looked him up and I went to one of his school shows. I thought, okay, so I went and introduced myself to Johnny. And I started training there. And this was like 11 or 12 years ago now. And I spent the next several years at, at Johnny Rods' school in Brooklyn uh, it's a good place to start. The Johnny Rods teaches very like old school American style. It's like learning Latin. Like nobody speaks Latin anymore. <laughs> yeah. But if you learn Latin, it, you can learn other languages easier, and mm-hmm. it's a very good like base. Uh, and then uh, I hurt my knee. I was out for you know a year and a half. Um, and then I went to, to Philadelphia and trained with Jakar for several years. I made sporadic appearances with them, and eventually left because I'd like to do more than have sporadic appearances with any given company, but I learned a ton there. It's like if, if Johnny Rods is like learning Latin, um, Chikara is like trying to learn like a deep programming language of some kind. It's very <laughs> complicated stuff. And, uh, you have to be, uh, you have to be in very good condition to get through that program. And, uh, which brings me to here now, you know, I have, um, I'm doing limited indie dates, mostly as a commentator or a ring announcer or so on. I, I work with XSW, which is just fantastic. I have all my all my uh, thrust in that direction. Uh, look, look up XSW if you don't know that. Like now, like pause this and look that up, and then come on back. I'm serious and um, extremely, extremely serious. There extremely serious. And <laughs> and I have my own podcast, which I wanted to start. Um, uh, one friend of mine who doesn't know anything about wrestling but has been friends with me and our other friend for twenty years is like, look, just just explain this to me, and we will we will talk about it. So uh, it's called Contesting Wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not trying to make him a fan. That's, it's not just us showing him the best and fanboying out. We're showing him like, the best and worst examples of stuff and getting reactions. And it's me who's been in the business, um, Professor Benjamin Abelson, who has... Um, literally a professor. Literally a professor of uh, philosophy at uh, Mercy College. He's written academic papers on pro wrestling. And uh, Evan Burke, who has been a creative mind in New York for 20 years. Nothing he's done has ever gained a lot of traction, but he's been a musician and a writer and a comedian. And now he's becoming a podcaster and we're having a great time doing that. And I'm happy to be here doing this one. And that is yeah. my story.
1: All right. Well, let's start with, Cause you say you watched Brett as a kid. Oh yeah. Cheer So let's, let's talk about, it, cause I think there is a uh, something super, I, I don't know. We'll talk about this in the undercard. So I think one of the super interesting things about this period of wrestling, right. Is that Brett Hart, who a lot of us loved, you know, as kids, Right, a hit. lot of
0: us. Show me someone who didn't, Chris. Okay, I will sure. Them I'm out.
1: Th- yeah, well, and we'll kick them and we'll punch them. Um, but so he turns heel um, at the beginning of 1997, mm-hmm. and well, really at March, really at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean the 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 most famous double turn of all time, right? I mean
2: uh, the double turn.
1: Yeah, the double turn. That's
2: that was like the first thing we showed Evan. And uh, he didn't quite get it, but he, he saw that there was something there, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think part of
1: it, because it, it is such a special and unique thing that sometimes mm-hmm. that match is so... You almost need to know the trope of how these things work to know how they're inverting the tropes to make this all work. Um, yes. Anyway, so, so Brett turns heel and, like, starts going in on, on the U.S., right? Cutting these promos about how America sucks and and starts getting cheered obviously in Canada and, and boot in America but I as a 13 14 year old at the time I'm still with Brett <laughs> so he's like America sucks and I'm like yeah yeah <laughs> you tell him Brett Pittsburgh is a cesspool <laughs> 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 it's like, and uh, it's a weird thing looking back at it because I don't think I fucking hated America deeply. Maybe I did. Maybe I was a more liberal than I thought within myself or something. or But it's a very sort of strange. And in, in fact, part of the thing that I think is interesting is that Brett is uh, Brett's critiques of America retrospectively very conservative ones in certain ways like uh we don't respect we respect families in Canada and it's
2: like a, it's like a
0: little weird well but it's kind of like interesting that like Brett was a fine promo as a baby face but I feel like this is really as a promo guy where he really expanded the horizons and and yeah. now with all we know about Brett the human being it's kind of like even before he was one, he was kind of a crotchety old man. Yeah. And all of this really fits the like, you know, the whole idea of the attitude era, wrestling in general, but particularly the attitude era is like guys turned up to eleven. And it feels like, yeah, I mean, I don't think Brett actually hated America, but like it was he was just like complain about shit you don't like about America and he's like, Oh yeah, I can do that.
2: I got it. Well, since the fans were turning on him in the first place, it was perfect fuel for this kind. You know, Brett didn't change. Everyone else changed. And if you were following most of society in the mid to late 90s, yeah, you know, people were changing. You know, things were, you know, the winds were, were blowing in a certain direction. And it wasn't towards the, you know, nose to the grindstone technical rules abiding wrestler.
0: Well, and I think that that the the target he put on Austin too is is kind of interesting because like again, if you read his book and you believe it and and other things, like I don't know that he ever had a particular problem with Austin, right? No, I, I think no. um, I think he actually liked Austin. He and thought I think he Austin was, always was gonna great. Put, he thought Austin was great. He was always going to put over Austin, but he I feel like a lot of the issues he had with Sean, which were more legitimate, he kind of projected on Austin because he was allowed to now because he was, and that was kind of interesting. Of like that in storyline here that Austin was like this avatar and representing this kind of new wave that was awful. And really he was kind of painting him the way he legitimately, I think
1: thought of Sean and certainly Sean and the click. Yeah. But I think you're also something that he's just killing it. Right. And there's an aspect where as a fan, even as a younger fan, sometimes you can just tell when a guy's being awesome and you'll cheer for them, even if it doesn't logically make sense. In terms of like your emotional perspective of like I shouldn't be cheering this guy, but he's so great that I'm I recognize that it's weird that I'm cheering, but well,
0: cares? like 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 Jericho right now in AEW, where it's oh, just yeah. like he's calling them fans like inbred hick alcoholics and stuff like that, and they fucking love him. It's just like it's it's
2: fine. That's part of wrestling, right? Well, the role of the wrestling fan has changed so much over the last mm. twenty five years, especially it's also uh, true especially in a place like AEW, which is kind of a place for the fans that are absolutely not a fan of the old way fans were expected to act can go. Uh, So Jericho can come out and do the best heel work of his career, which is a considerable compliment and people can come and cheer him and they'll still boo him when he does real heel stuff because they're supposed to Mm -hmm. and it's fun. Uh, But yeah, we all love him. (laughs) He's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I I think Brett's kind of hitting that beginning part here of that change where he's like, Oh, well, People will cheer me or boo me, and I'm just going to be this character. Um, and yes, yeah, which is people, a very modern way. Like that's kind of the way all wrestling works now,
0: right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's part of why that, like, not only WWE, but but a lot of places have tried to kind of run back an America versus Canada gimmick, and it never really takes because it's like it was never about America versus exactly. Canada. It was yeah. really was about Brett. Yeah, And Sean and
1: Austin and Vince. And like, it was great. Yeah, I mean, Russo literally ran it back in WCW like three years later. with oh, the so like. Canadian. And it was fine. Lance is fine. And then they had the sure. weird, the general erection and whatever the fact. I saw Jim Duggan as a Canadian. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <sighs> but yeah, no, it's not like Americans actually hate. Again, Canadians and Americans don't actually hate each other. It worked because it was Brett. Well, and Brett was also be- so beloved in Canada. I mean, they literally oh, yeah. at one point before a match like stop and it's like let's sing oh canada and they fucking do it yeah i
0: mean but but, but i think part of that though is that also this era that it's not really full-blown attitude era yet like this is kind of the the nascent transition era that there was still a lot of that traditional kayfabe where it was you treated it like sports but not the way that like modern new japan treats as sports more the way that when you take a six-year-old to their first baseball game you treat sports of like These are the good guys. We're going to root for them. Why do we root for them? Because there are guys. Just trust me on this one. And there was that element of like some of the American fans. And again, they were all American arenas leading up to this. I think we're booing them, but they were booing them in the way that they would just boo the Mountie or something like that partially. Right. right? And that's why this is just this great combination. We'll obviously we'll get into the match too, because even the way they work, the match is this interesting dichotomy between this of uh, you can see that evolution towards the attitude errors almost there, but it's not quite there. And they still have a lot of that good old school stuff. And I think that you, you just see a lot that this this was just a special period of time that you can't really ever get this lightning back in a bottle again.
2: You know, yeah, it's interesting you bring up like how you bring a little kid to a show like that and Introduce it like the home team and the away team. I think too much analysis about wrestling focuses on how good any certain match is and good matches are great. I love seeing a good, good match. Um, But it's not about that. And it never has been. It's Mm -hmm. about the fans hoping somebody will win and hoping somebody else will lose. When you get emotionally invested into a character, you don't care if they throw a Chris and Rana, you care if they win or lose. And, you, you could say that was that's old fashioned, but it's absolutely not because people still complain all the time about who the WWE puts over and who they don't. Well, but
0: yeah, but like looking at kids, because I think the WWE have done some really kind of questionable things with what they do for children. I get yeah. that they have to do it. But you look at like with Roman Reigns are trying to emulate Cena. And I think they did a good. I think that mostly kids like Cena and mostly they like Roman yeah. Reigns because mostly when you actually go to a show, those guys are getting way more cheers than booze. Yeah, there's smarks in the thing that are going to try to be assholes. But for the most part, kids like who they're supposed to like. And that's why I think you see somebody like the New Day that are just selling just this insane amount of merch compared to everyone else, because that's that perfect one that if you're a kid in the arena, everyone else is cheering them. And you look around and no one's not cheering them. (laughs) Yeah, There's no signposts that say, because when you're a kid, like it's kind of like I know from having, you know, me and my family, me and my brothers were all hardcore, hardcore Yankee fans. But I have I had a brother that you know, his kids grew up mostly in California and I have another brother, kids growing up in Chicago. And it's like, I remember one of them came wearing a Mike trout Jersey. And I'm like, I look at my brother, like he was dead to me. I was like, how dare you have a child that wears? he's like, listen, what are we going to do? Go to an angels game. And every other kid in his school are all like yelling that they love Mike trout. And I'm going to tell him, no, you don't like Mike trout. You like some other guy that you never see in person that lives all the way across the country where daddy and mommy used to live 10 years ago and i'm like yeah no it makes sense yeah so Your brothers
1: he, not a caricature like bill simmons anyway
2: my my <laughs> mother does not like the yankees because she is still a brooklyn dodgers fan because she is old enough that that was <laughs> that was the team in brooklyn when she was a kid in brooklyn yeah. and she will never she will never crack that it will never go away from her you know yeah but that's hers yeah. right that's her her that's and her
0: agency that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to hold that torch still no and if she had
2: tried well my point is more what what it impresses on you as a kid in terms of sports teams and stuff like that will probably stay with you whatever it is and it has nothing to do with who came before you or after you or anything like that it's that's what fandom is in general yeah
0: well and that's that's kind of one of the beautiful things about that the hogan nwo heel turn right is and and i think this this brett turn is, is very similar is that all of these kids that grew up with this being their hero And, you know, in Brett, it's kind of like, hey, you know, like what Chris was saying, hey, this is kind of making sense. And I kind of get it. And, you know, maybe this isn't black and white. Maybe there is a little bit more gray in here or with Hogan, where it's just like you've changed so much. You're a seven-year-old or whatever, 10-year-old. Watching Hulk Hogan, you're now 15 or something like that. Watching, like not watching Hulk Hogan more than likely, knowing what the era was. And just kind of like, fuck Hogan. If I watch wrestling, like I'm not going to.
1: I'm not going to want to cheer for that guy. I'm not a child anymore, right yeah you know I also think there's a super fun thing that happens here where um, and this is sort of the first time this kind of happens or I guess maybe the curtain call is maybe the, the first time and this is sort of the, the play on this, right is that the hard foundation coming together is this moment where as a kid, you didn't maybe realize like if you're the kind of person who like Brett, probably also like the British Bulldogs plural mm-hmm. and, and and then of course Davey Boy and you're probably a Hart Foundation as him and Neidhart fan. Right. And Owen, you enjoyed too. Obviously, he'd turn on Brett, but you enjoyed those matches. And hey, decent chance you're probably he, a Brian. he
0: also tagged with Neidhart as a fa- babyface in the beginning, right? Yeah,
1: and decent chance if you are watching WCW2, you were probably a Brian Pillman fan if you were also a Bret Hart fan. Mm-hmm. And then you have this moment where they come together and you're like, oh, yeah, we're all a fan. <laughs> like we, we may not be a family by blood, but hey, two of us married in, and Pillman trained with us. And like, there's a collective thread here yeah. when Brett comes out in that match with a. Owen and Davey, He's like, "Why are we fighting? Why?" Yeah. Like, it's like it's a little bit curtain collie right? And then it's like, "No, no, no. Wait, wait, hold! You guys are brothers. We're bro- what? We should be a team."
0: Well, I remember the first time I even got wind of this as a stable, I was just kind of like, "Why didn't they do this earlier? Like, <laughs> right? Why? In, like, like." Right after that SummerSlam ninety two match, why didn't they immediately the day after that, or whenever they did because I guess they were still pre-recording shows back like the next recording cycle, they really should have
2: They weren't they weren't ready to go with Owen yet. And Owen wasn't really ready yet by ninety-two. You know, by the time they by the time they put it together, Owen had built up such a cachet. If -hmm. anything, Brett gained heel credibility by finally going with Owen. And yeah. I yeah. remember the, the segment you mentioned where it's like, why are they fighting? Owen immediately starts crying. And I think that that's fantastic. Owen's <laughs> so yeah. perfect Owen's in that. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause I'd watch, I watched the, the match, the European, the first one they had together. And there's a great promo afterwards where like Bulldog has won and he's trying to be like, well, you know, you're great too. And Owen's just sort of like, no, 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 but like what well, we have to recognize that I'm great here and that you're <laughs> yeah. and just like oh. Owens. Uh. Owen was really hitting all cylinders and it's just, Um, And they
0: they were all kind of taking that kind of sneering superiority that Brett kind of always had. Right. And they were making bigger part of the character. Like, obviously, Owen was so obnoxious with his slammies and stuff like that. And Bulldogs, European champion. And like, you kind of look at it and be like, yeah, these guys really are kind of, you know, also uh, on, on the Team Austin side of things, you were kind of like.
1: These guys are kind of rubbing it in our faces all the time, too. Well, and also, what Pillman kind of adds, right, is that, you know, Brett's obviously always very restrained, right? Mm-hmm. And Bulldog is pretty similar, and Owen, you know, Anvil kind of has the cackling, but it's this thing, but like, as, as a heel crack faction. Crack cocaine. That's his thing. <laughs> yeah. And Bill brings the crack. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, Pillman brings that sort of unpredictability that a heel faction really works, right? It's like they feel dangerous. Yeah. But in part because Pillman adds the danger and like the, everyone else is sort of very cold and calculating and Pillman's fucking crazy.
2: You know, Tully Blanchard said of the Four Horsemen that uh, if a uh, heel stable to work like that, you know, you can pack it with dynamite, but you need a blasting cap. You know, Tully was the blasting cap. It never worked the same, really, without him. And Pillman yeah. was the blasting cap on the Heart Foundation, or, or else they were all just good wrestlers yeah. who would take a shortcut occasionally. Like, no, Pillman would beat you with his crutch that he really needs to get around. <laughs> right. But you're within beaten distance, so that's what he has to do.
0: Right. And, and yeah. you know, he, he never really had many memorable matches in WWF no. because, you know, what— a injured, lot. yeah. Yeah, wasn't the, there the very injuries, long. You,
1: and he wasn't there for very long. Well, the the, the whole group only exists for six months. Yeah, That's the crazy thing to look back well, like they this thing is a six month.
3: Well,
0: angle. and I,
1: I think another reason why it, it's
0: like Team Austin, which isn't a real stable, right? But it was really focused on Austin, which I think also made sense because Austin, too, by this point, he's probably the most popular guy in the company, right? Certainly, um, and. And soon it would be without question. There wouldn't even be a question mark behind he that would rise very soon.
2: Faster and further than anybody could possibly have imagined. Anyone in history, right? And yeah. but even by this point, too, he also had
0: personal individual one on one issues with three fifths of the heart team, right? He had major storylines with Pillman, Owen, and Brett, you know, yeah. and and they acknowledge all of that leading into this.
1: Yeah um and there's also just I, I just really just love them as a group um i love the jackets so much yeah i've always as a kid i was just like man i just want yeah i just want my version of that like and as an adult there's still a chance at some point i'll pay someone to paint that in the back of a jacket
0: i, I flirted with with having that done but it's it's hard to justify the amount of money it would cost when i'm like how often would i actually wear it i don't is know it, is, is, is it worth that amount of money just to have it in a closet in case I need it,
2: like a plain leather jacket is expensive enough, right. let alone right. with all <laughs> of that what stuff saying. on it. Like either custom made, or if somebody's cranking them out somewhere and selling them, it's yeah. yeah. I, and, I think, and right, you're not just gonna like wear it on the subway every day, like heart foundation, right? So fluffed up, you
1: know? <laughs> right, right. Maybe you could do like a denim jacket. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm mm. just thinking hypothetically. I mean, Christmas is coming up. Everyone, you know,
2: people <laughs> people spend hundreds of dollars on those replica championship belts just to wear them to wrestling shows. You could do it like that. Depends on yeah. how many wrestling shows you go
1: to. Those seem weird. I I've never yeah. been able to sort of mentally get there. As
2: yeah, a big fan, and I get it.
1: And it's like, it's cool if I'm like meeting a wrestler and he has the belt. I'm like, oh, the belt looks very cool. It's kind of nice to see it up close. Yeah, well,
2: if a wrestler has a belt that like that's on him, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. But but I will say some of that stuff. Like I remember we saw at we went to WrestleMania weekend. You know, we went to a lot of shows, WrestleMania weekends yeah. on a home turf. There was the Rev Pro show, the Friday night, and there was a guy about two rows in front of us wearing full Bret Hart. He had the full attire with the singlet <laughs> all the way down, the boots. He he did his hair as much as he could, like and and he had the jacket too. But like he had this, and I was just like, you know what? I don't fully understand why an adult <laughs> would do all of that, but. He's kind of pulling it off, and I, I kind of dig it, and he might be swaying me on this whole heart
2: jacket thing. Well, you see more often in the arenas, or else you did for a long time, people dressed as like Hogan and Randy Savage. Usually right. together, like at a <laughs> at a boring part of the show, they'd just start walking around the upper deck, and people would notice until the security tells them to knock it off because you're distracting everyone in the real sometimes show. Sometimes
1: Jesus, a double, double or nothing. yeah. 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 Well, then Jesus and the macho Man were arguing with each other, yeah, and it yeah. was um, that was an interesting moment in life.
2: There was a guy that used to come to the Hammerstein Ballroom Ring of Honor shows uh, in full John Cena regalia with the spinner belt and everything, and boy would he, he get that. it during yeah. the uh, the intermissions and so on. Um, he you just know, you, you got to know your, to be angry your audience. At him. <laughs> yeah, he did. I've, I'm, some fans want you to be angry at them, and that's like just. Get in the business, man. So, so that's uh, therapy, maybe, Uh, I don't know. But if what you really want is just random other people to be angry at you, you've got a problem. Yeah. I mean,
0: and I, again, I don't, I don't get any of it. Even if you went to that ring of honor, like, you know, dressed like El Generico or something. And and somebody that people like, I still don't fully understand it. That said, when I did see a short at and hall, there is the guy that goes to every show dressed as Liger (laughs) And I absolutely asked to take a picture with him. And <laughs> yeah. I remember he goes, he, he basically, you know, and he doesn't, he's Japanese, right? He doesn't speak great English, but he speaks enough to communicate with. And he's like, you you know, I'm not real Liger. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I know. I, I, I want to take a picture yeah. with you. It's it's I know you're not it's real cool. Liger. Yeah. <laughs> like he's so confused because he's like, it's just some random super junior show. And he's just like, why does this American guy
2: <laughs> To- just be like my friends are dumb Americans. They don't know the difference. <laughs> yeah, that, basically. That happened to me once. This is not a wrestling story, but I was, in a, I was at a, a Little Caesars pizza shop. I'm not proud of it, but I was at a Little Caesars pizza shop on 125th Street getting pizza oh, I know for myself. One. Yeah, right? I was living in the area at the time. And it was about noon or so, and I had, like, just gotten out of bed, and I looked at 100%. Like, it was the kind of day where I was going to roll out of bed and go to Little Caesars. <laughs> and uh, two, two, like, guys, they look like. Very few
0: <sighs> people at Little Caesars look like they don't belong there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And uh, two, two guys it looked to be, like, 19 or 20 came up to me, and they're like, hey, are you, are you the guy from, like, The Hangover? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you mean, the, like, like, Zach Galifianakis? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. And first I think, man, I got to stop. Rolling out of bed and going to little season. but I say, no, nah, man, I'm not. I'm not him. And they're like, okay, can we take our picture with you anyway and tell our friends who you are? And I said, yeah, I guess, put my it. arm around one of them and like gave the McFoley thumbs up and you know looked bleary and <laughs> and they uh, they had a story to tell and so do I. So there you thank go. you, kids, if you hear that. Uh, I doubt you will, but I've told that story a million times. It was totally worth it.
0: <laughs> and, and just to be clear, on people like in Detroit or something like that, like. We have no particular issue with Little Caesars Pizza. It's just that we live in New York and yeah. you're, there's a certain emotion you're evoking in yourself when you literally live in New York mm. and there are pizza places on every corner and you, you make that conscious decision that Little Caesars is what you need.
2: Yeah, there, there was one other pizza place on that block. It was not good and it's not there anymore, Yeah, which is what happens.
1: Sometimes, sometimes the nearest thing is a Domino's, and you don't want to walk those extra two blocks,
0: and yeah, you just, you know. And it certainly might be the only thing still open at one in the morning. True. True. That is true. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, but so I was, so I think, nice transition though. We're talking about the Heart Foundation, I'm crazy bread it, fan, and how great they fucking were um, <laughs> into our, our segment in the undercard, which is sort of overrated, underrated attitude era factions. Because um, I think it's an interesting era in that there there were a lot of factions. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not sure we've sort of there's been a good sort of reconsideration of. The great, the great, and not so great ones. So um, I'll start with you guys. Um, no, uh, you can lead us off. Yeah. Uh, which one? Well, either, either way, if you want to go, no, and but, one that's overrated or underrated. Which one do you want? to Overrated
2: lead? or underrated? Uh, that's it's it's a tough question because a lot of them I find were rated low for a reason. You know, they just kind of right. threw them all at each other together. Um,
0: There's a very large, fairly rated. Yeah, Same. there's a very yeah.
2: large, fairly rated. You know, there was like you know Los Bariquas and the DOA and all. They were all like firmly lower mid card acts, and I thought that's exactly where they should have been. Right. The Hard Foundation was on top, which is exactly where they should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, there were more. Uh, so, so for, why for a hot why minute don't in don't the I... Attitude Era, they were really pushing the oddities, and none of them were any good except for uh, except for Golga, but he had well, stopped Cyrus, being good right, for years before. I was never a fan of Cyrus. <laughs>
0: I wasn't a fan of that I'm character. still not a fan. I don't
2: oh, understand ooh. why people think he's like this great commentator. I listen to him and I'm like, you're you're a, you're a fan, someone handed the microphone to, you, buddy. Stop it, please.
0: Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think I actually like the character and I think that the fandom yeah. showing through is, is is not necessarily a bad thing. Um I do think he's, I mean, to he's each
2: their own for sure. Yeah. He's
1: probably a little bit overrated because by far the best thing he is at as for as a commentator is calling like Kenny Omega matches. Yeah. And sure. those have been by far the most like well <laughs> heavily rated and watched <laughs> matches of new japan over the last year so it's there's a little bit of people, halo effect yeah people mostly see him at his peak where and and there's a lot of funny yeah. where he's just sort of fine but like he's i think he's awesome in that role and then that's what people see him do so i think right. well you watch impact and he's he's doing a perfectly fine job but it's not at the level of like oh he's calling so it it's easy event. to
2: seem like it's the best when you're calling the best wrestling in the world yeah, but that said, that thing that's actually
0: here. why I really like him. Is that when you you would see when he was doing um, New Japan more more frequently? Yeah, um, is that he even then had his most frequent? He wasn't doing the majority of shows necessarily, and the drop off is steep, right? Because it it's always Kevin Kelly. Yeah, so that's like the control. He's right? very neutral. Yeah, and Kevin <laughs> Kelly's fine. I like yeah, Kevin Kelly, fine. right? Yeah, and but but it's always Kevin Kelly and somebody, and then when you see him with Cyrus versus him with somebody else. Mm-hmm. It, it, Typically, not a lot. I I notice a big a big drop off. So,
2: I mean, that's fair to say. It's it's hard to get good commentators. Yeah. Um, it takes oh, takes yeah. longer than I've been doing it to actually be really really good. You yeah. know, it's like a commentating. You're you're talking the whole time. There might be somebody else. There might not be. You might have to be carrying somebody else. You know, sometimes it's like it takes. It's the same way with like stand up comedy. Most of the good stand ups don't really get good for fifteen or twenty years of just. Yeah. Just misery being thrown at them because they're not very good. But like even well, we watch like, those
1: USA Pro shows. Yeah, some of the commentary on those shows, looking back, is um, really truly terrible. And every every uh. time you think that someone, oh, Michael Cole's bad, and it's like. No no, 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 no. no. The random people calling USA Pro Shows in 2001,
2: they're bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, Michael Cole might not be your favorite announcer. He's not mine. But, you right. know, yeah. as Taz put it once, if they tell you to go sell Big Macs, you go sell Big Macs. You know, right. Michael Cole is a skilled announcer who knows what he has to say and when to say it and how to say it.
0: And if yeah. and if he doesn't, yeah. he has someone yelling at his ear to remind right. him. Yeah. Completely. Which, that, by the way, I often think about how hard that's got to be. Just to have a cogent conversation, let alone being an entertaining announcer that's getting the story across, with people blabbing in your ear, I just don't know how it's possible. I don't think I could do this podcast if Kent was in in my ear constantly.
2: But well, you, you hint, know, it's hint, it's a, Kent. It's usually said as kind of a kind of a dismissive thing, but seriously, that's why they pay him the big bucks. I, no, totally. It's, it's a you know, of everybody who wants to talk into a microphone, it takes a lot of nerve. And it's another thing that's usually said derisively, but I mean it in a very good way. It takes a lot of nerve to sit there and look at the camera or look at the monitor and say exactly what you're being screamed at to say without betraying the fact that someone's talking to you. Yeah. And just getting it all right. And obviously, Michael Cole has gotten it right for long enough because he's been their lead announcer for a very long time. And he really was bad for a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, So it was Kevin Kelly. I don't think Kevin Kelly was great. I think Kevin Kelly. I was not a fan of Kevin Kelly when when I first started seeing him. It took a long time. I think he's fine now. You know? Well, I think he's perfect. He's found this perfect
1: rhythm for New Japan. I don't mm-hmm. know if I would enjoy Kevin Kelly calling, like, AEW. But Kevin Kelly has this nice balance where, you know, when you're watching a New Japan show that's definitely a house show, yeah. he he gets enough excitement across. But he's not trying to sell you that this is a Tokyo Domain event, right? He's very good at, like, grad- at his level up. Yeah. Um, and I think for New Japan in particular, that's an incredibly important skill like that's what makes he's what makes New Japan sort of like fun to watch when you're like, oh, I can listen to Kevin Kelly and can just talk to me for a bit. But when it's it's exciting, he can convey that and he knows how to do it very well. Yeah.
2: As opposed to you know Vince McMahon when he was doing commentary where every match was <laughs> the greatest thing he'd ever seen. Well, what a maneuver! You know, <laughs> right, you know Bob Holly versus the Brooklyn Brawler. You know Bob Holly is the world's most incredible athlete. He has the best drop kick <laughs> in the world, and we're not going to use him for the next two months. Yeah, and brawler will get rest. steady work
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I will say so. The, the attitude of factions I will say I think a little bit underrated as a faction none of these guys are underrated I think but it's it's. I think people forget how much fun the radicals were when they just started mm. and how just fucking like man this is so cool that these guys are together and doing this in WWE and there was just such a halo effect around those guys and it was I feel like people have kind of forgotten them and they're, they were well, great
0: they, I think also because they were like a looser stable right like like they sure. were, it, it wasn't quickly, like they were having
1: yeah. eight man tag matches and stuff well, like that. They kind of were for a bit, but they were yeah. only they were only a, a tight stable for like six months or so, yeah. and then they kind of broke up pretty quickly and kind of like, yeah, we're we're of a loose stable. Well, so,
2: Eddie Guerrero got got pretty severely injured, like his arm was his elbow or his shoulder went out on TV. I should remember this. Yeah, um, and Perry Saturn was great, but he really wasn't like. He didn't really fit with those guys, especially see, as he got weirder I, as a person and kind of splintered well, off onto see, his own side. I think
0: at that time he did. Yeah. Then I think that he was he was the odd man out in the radicals, but like I was really excited to see where this would go because I'm like, you know what? I really like his in ring work. I like all their in ring work. I see a lot of similarities. Like I'm very I think the fact that they're putting him with them is great and it's gonna be good. And then again, Saturn kind of went in a different direction, to say the least, like like yeah. once once that faction wasn't really Active, but I'll have an overrated one. Sure, overrated, okay. and and I feel like I probably said Degeneration X. Uh, so <laughs> overrated. I know it's been, become overblown of like how much like how Im- quote unquote important they are, but honestly, the click was important. Yeah, the NWO was important. The main thing that Degeneration X did was avoid getting bloated the way the NWO did. Yeah, they were just like if we cloned the NWO. And kind of keep it to more the original conceit without this just weird expansion into dominating the entire show and kind of pointlessness. Yeah. So I mean,
2: DX as a
1: like. Well, I think in particular the Sean Hunter era is in in current WWE canon fairly overrated, right?
2: Well, you mean you mean yeah. the the late Sean Hunter era or the early Sean Hunter era?
1: Well, the, the, or the early because I think yeah. that the late is sort of predicated on the like.
2: This is DX, and it's like actually the real no, DX. The Road that, like, Dog is, yeah, it has
1: Road Dog Billy Gun X pac Yeah, that's China. what everyone
2: like, kind of remembers.
1: Yeah. And um, I think they're not un- underrated, but they can't be underrated, but they're a little more properly rated. It's that Sean Hunter era that has like this weird halo that, over that it. That was definitely
0: kind of- like um, again, the night the night after WrestleMania 14, mm. where like X Pac comes and, and the Outlaws join the group. That's the giant size X-Men of Degeneration X, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh but even them, like, I think. The matches sucked for the most part. X-Pac was pretty boring. I think China's most interesting stuff was what she did outside of Degeneration X rather than explicitly as part of it. That I think she was actually really held back by Degeneration X because she was basically just this weird she's a woman, but she's the muscle. And it like it was kind of great in a way, but kind of limiting what she could do in a way.
2: Mm. It worked better with just her, Hunter, and Sean. It really worked better yeah. with just her and Hunter. <laughs> well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It was really, yeah. I
0: think with her, her and Hunter even when technically DX was there, like Hunter was kind of in this whole thing that I, I think even the quote unquote good one, we remember the catchphrases and stuff like that. Yeah. And we remember the, the energy, but I don't like, I don't really think that you can put a lot of it against the greatest of all time, which is where I think a lot of people think of them, that would, which is why I think it's overrated. I don't think they were a bad stable. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think they were one of the greatest ever.
2: The, the worth in Degeneration X in the late 90s was not, you know, they're great matches because you're right there. There weren't that many great matches involving all of them. Like eventually Hunter and Rock had some great matches, right, but it wasn't sure. like it wasn't like, you know, the Hart Foundation with Brett and Owen and you know, Davy Boy. The value in Degeneration X was that it directly reflected pop culture at the time. Mm-hmm. which is yeah. something the WWE has always struggled to do consistently. And whenever they've been able to do it, they've had their best business and their most success. We remember the catchphrases, but now when we watch half the stuff they did, we kind of cringe. Yeah. And we can come up with a lot of really righteous reasons why we cringe, but really it's just because it was like old fashioned and exactly that window where we think stuff that was cool at this point really isn't cool. And eventually it's just going to become history. Well, yeah. And
0: I mean, yeah. it, and also like, I bet you could take any like, if Vine had existed in 1999, yeah, right, and you had vines of me in 1999 when I was a teenager, I would cringe from watching every single one of them. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's part of it. Is when you go back and watch some of the stuff, you cringe because it's kind of like watching a video of yourself, even though it's obviously not. (laughs) That you're kind of like this is where I was at, and again for like our like our type of generation, it's like. You know, we were also, I mean, I was like a, a horny, bloodthirsty teenager. Like, this is the the type of show that just appealed to me on that great animal yeah. basic way. That's what they were trying really to do. Up. Yeah.
2: You know, and it they, was very successfully, of course. It was the style at the time. You know, right, everything yeah. was extreme with several X's yeah. by the mid 2000s. Too many X's came through and we had to take <laughs> it back a little bit. Well, right. I remember, I mean, just at the time to bring it back to the hearts,
1: like, yeah. you know, being like cringy, it's like, I remember looking like, and they had like a, a WDF magazine story about like Brett's family. And I was like, oh man, he's got like a daughter, like basically my age, man. Could I be like a heart? <laughs> could I be, could I be a son-in-law? What would Brett be like as a dad? Like that's, uh, <laughs> those are, those are thoughts only 15, like weird 15 year olds have. like right. I, I 22, you don't, uh, well, I mean, I think about what Ric Flair would be like to have as a dad, uh, a father-in-law, oof. but that's just cause that, that should be funny. And, and yeah, sad, but also no. funny. mostly
0: sad. Yeah. You have to deal with a daughter, a wife that grew up with Ric Flair as your dad. So that's probably some darkness.
2: I, I hear uh, hear Ric Flair's son in law has a few podcasts of his own. Yeah, one talks of them, about yeah. it. As, as the years go on, he speaks of Ric Flair with less and less glow and more and more this. Ancient alcoholic, ADD riddled guy I have to deal with. And all respect to Ric Flair. He's one of the greatest of all time. He's lived every day like it's going to be his last since he was in a plane crash over yeah, yeah. 40 years ago. <laughs> right. And he's just kept years, on living. Yeah. 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 yeah like some, the late 70s, I think, or was it even the Mids- early I think it was 70s? 75? Like oh my. It was him and like Johnny Valentine. Yeah. yeah. He says like Johnny Valentine used to complain that guys would run off the ropes too much. Um, which, like I said, when I was a kid, I knew what wrestling was when somebody was uncontrollably <laughs> running. So there's a thing to that. But yeah. you and Johnny yeah. Valentine, you Me had the and same Johnny <laughs> Valentine, outlook You're, on things, two
1: sides yeah. of the same coin. Um, but talking I, about the Hart family, they are all fucking ringside for the match we're mm, oh yeah. about to talk about. Yeah.
2: Dozens of them.
1: In the, uh, I think some of them, by the way, are furious to be ringside. We'll <laughs> get into uh, yeah. in the main event. All right, so. Canadian Stampede in your house July 1997 I will say I did not purchase the show as a kid Mm. and um, once I heard about it afterwards I was like man I really should have fucking bought this show (laughs) and like that's the thing like now you're just like well I'll just go buy it online and like no, like, I had to, like, send away and, like, find s- someone online that had a copy and, like, get a tape of this, like, a year or so later yeah. to finally see this. And then I was even more mad at myself because I was yeah, like, this is fucking amazing. They
0: were There would be pay-per-view replays, but even then they would do, like, a handful of them for, like, a week.
2: Yeah, if you had that, to get it right yeah. away. The yeah. replay Wednesday night that they'll plug on Raw without right. really telling you what happened. Right. This was a little bit after that, but yeah, you, the, your points are, are uh, valid. If you didn't know, you couldn't just get stuff on demand at all before, like, 2000, 2001. And even then, only if you had, like, the top cable packages and even right. then, only a couple of things. Right. We yep. didn't really hit this age where you could get, like, anything you wanted until... Uh, you know pirates could do it when there was enough hard drive space and speed in like the late 2000s well, and everyone else could only six or seven years ago if, if
0: you were no. okay waiting i think by the yeah. late 90s or, or early 2000s i think with dvds they would release a dvd of everything yeah but in this VHS era is even it, well but i was gonna say even in this era i don't think everything came out in vhs and the vhs would legitimately mm-hmm. take like eight months to come out or some yeah. crazy amount yeah. of time Whereas I think once it was the DVD era, they they definitely sped things. I think they intentionally probably waited two or three months just to be like, oh, yeah. you're going to pay the full price if you're going to want to see this in anywhere close to real time That and try to stay unspoiled. But it, it was still a lot quick. Like VHS was, like, I remember literally just being like a full year behind on like WrestleManias.
2: Yeah, that's and, and yeah. you're right. It was because they wanted people to buy it day of on pay-per-view. Then there isn't the cost of manufacturing and distribution and yeah, all of that at once. Yeah. Plus they wanted to say as high of a buy rate as possible because that was yeah. good for business.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, so they, they cut, so they open with this match and like, again, literally the premiere is sitting next to Stu and Helen. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> entire heart family is in the front row. Yeah. Like all of it. And there's a lot the nieces of nieces and nephews, the, yeah, the other, there's originally like 12, brothers and sisters wanted passed away, but there's still like, again, 11 of them. Oh yeah. And all yeah. of their kids. Yeah. All their families. And it's, it's just a, a crazy kind of like scene, um, of, again, just all of them. And then of course, you know, the, the baby faces, the, the, the U S baby faces come out lots of booze. Well, and they really, they really play them up as like enemy combatants, you know, and, and right. And, yeah. And there's like good heat for ha- Austin, but I, I, I was struck watching it back. It's less that there was, like, heat for the... And this is probably about the home team aspect. Less that there was heat on those U.S. guys, but there was. There was, well, then, there then again, was Austin. Some, yeah. I think most Canadian fans, and it sounds
0: like none of the three of us are Canadian, I don't think the Canadian fans had any problem with Austin. Austin was cool. Austin was awesome. There was Austin he was 316 clearly, shirts in the crowd. Yeah, I mean, sure. he was clearly, again, becoming the biggest star in wrestling, if not already there. Like, they're not going to hate on Austin, but it's the same way that, like, you can... You know, you can really like, you know, uh, LeBron James or something like that. But if he's playing your team in the finals, you may not shit on LeBron, but you're certainly going to root for your guys, you know, that much harder.
2: The whole point of this show was for for a celebration of the Heart Foundation and the hearts in general. Yeah, nobody was going to, you know, boo them. Uh, nobody was going to cheer against them. But you're right. There wasn't like, we're going to riot and, and come down the, the aisle and kill you, Heat, for the baby faces. It's Legion of Doom and, yeah. <laughs> and Austin yeah. and everything. People it, love those guys.
0: It's, it was kind of weird that this is like the best homecoming ever. And yet Vince, after this, is just so bad at it. And like, <laughs> some of it's intentional. Some of it I don't think is as intentional. It's like, how hard is this formula? Like, it's just you have easy. people that are associated with a certain geography. Put a big show in that geography. They they've got
1: an arena, you know, or yeah, they've got an arena yeah. close enough. Yeah, and that's and the pop is like so. Pillman comes out first. The pop is insane. Oh and yeah, there's an am, it's just amazing to watch because it just kind of keeps building yeah. until there's a pause before Brett, and then Brett walks out and like, well, there's
0: the, the bre- even during the break
1: because they know, yeah. it, like before
0: Brett's music even hits. It's like a three act thing <laughs> where it's like they're popping and i think owen gets a little bit of a bigger pop owen than everybody, gets, everybody yeah, else everyone's right getting, everyone's getting one it's the, like taking then, level up. Yeah. but then the silence then that gets an even bigger pop then brett's music it's that gets an even bigger pop then brett actually comes out and goes with them that's even the biggest pop of all and it is it is nuts and that's where like watching this back where i'm like how does vince not do this like every time they're in <laughs> chicago or, or like, you know, Cleveland or, or any place like associated with certain wrestlers. It's just, it's mind
2: boggling. Yeah. He seems to go out of his way to discourage it. Like you can't do it every time, but he could do it a lot more often than he does. Yeah, you know? yeah. I do want
0: to say too, before the entrances, that I think it was a good touch that instead of doing it at the beginning of the show, they do O Canada directly before this <laughs> yeah. match, which was which is Farmer's Daughter does it. Um, now, my, my fiance's Canadian. Um she, when she was younger, she was super into Farmer's Daughter. Still has them on her like iPod and stuff. Uh, it's so I assume, band? She, yeah, it's like okay. a okay. um, all girl singing band. So, so they apparently were a thing in Canada in the nineties. So, uh th- but like that's just a nice touch. Rather than doing it at the beginning of the show before the first match, which is what you'd expect, they they wait until before the main event to really even more rile up, and and the fans kind of are singing along and stuff like that. Like they are in their most patriotic mood leading into this match.
2: Yeah. Canadians, um, they don't get to do that as much as Americans do. Americans do it so much more than almost any other country in the entire world. Just this like rah, rah, us, us, us. Like Mm -hmm. it's very nationalistic, you know, and, and, uh, it can be unsettling for visitors, but Canadians understand when we do it and they they do it a bit. Right. But like, but not like we do it. So it, it, since the people came to the arena expecting to, when they got, you know, they are very susceptible to it when it was time to whip them up for it. Yeah. Because they didn't do it all the time. They were like, yeah, tonight's we're going to be Canada.
0: And it had Canadian in the name. And obviously, like yeah. there was, they were in it was, Calgary.
2: It wasn't the most major market. So the people there weren't used to getting, well, but that's where Brett always Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Like, yeah. it,
0: it is the most associated heart. You know, it is the right. Ground zero for, I mean, Diana Hart, and this is kind of like a uh, grown thing, but Diana Hart <laughs> comes out, uh, the you know, or Diana Smith, I guess at that time, yeah. right? Uh, Davy Boy's Brett's and Owen's sister, Davy Boy's wife, comes out with a Miss Miss Calgary Stampede sash right. and crown, which is <laughs> weird, but like she actually did win that that year. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I think being famous
2: helps. The, the, the oh. beauty pageant at the rodeo. I don't exactly
0: know what it is. I'm not gonna <laughs> claim I do. Um, I, I will say it wasn't even on her Wikipedia, so I had to do some more <laughs> researching of exactly even what it was. I'm just like, yeah. why is this woman who's probably in her like at least mid to late 30s at this point coming out wearing a, a beauty pageant thing? But that, she like, did win in it a, that year, not in the past. She did win it that year. Oh, okay. I did confirm because that it wasn't I like wanted was like she to this Calgary Stampede yeah. 1987. Well, I, my first question was. Uh, did she name herself it? Or <laughs> is it like, since Stu had technically owned the, the Calgary up. Stampede wrestling promotion, like, did he just name her? So apparently it is a real thing. It is associated with the actual Stampede. But yeah, it's a beauty contest associated with a rodeo, apparently. Or, or, or I don't even, it's not even beauty contest, right? It's, it's like, a, what do they call those? A, a, a
2: pageant? Pageant? A pageant, yeah, I mean, I a, don't know. Yeah. Well, at the same time on, uh, on Nitro, I believe Deborah McMichael was doing the same gimmick. She was coming out every week as the beauty queen. Oh, that's true. Miss Money uh, Nitro. Oh, she was dynamite. She'd come out and you just hated her because she could cut a promo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. really all there was to it. I don't uh, want to get too far off. Yeah. Uh, the, the, all the hearts were um, were there. And I wonder, I really do wonder what the final number of hearts were. God, including it, the kids. Including I don't even, the kids. It's yeah. got to be like
1: or, like they fill the ring after after the yeah. match it's like got to be 30 something 30 40
2: i'm like trying to look for like natty or teddy and i can on They all yeah. were there oh, no, no. They, i they know talk they were about there that. Oh, yeah. no no
0: you can actually so i have it in my notes you can clearly yeah. see teddy at the end yeah. so, so teddy's probably like 18 19 or something like that at this yeah. point and it's weird to me that like despite the hardships of his life he actually kind of looks the same as now <laughs> it like much more i'm going to look for the exact note but it was much more than i would have thought um, let me see. Well, well, we'll go, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, just skinnier. He's if just we find skin. that
1: picture, we'll we'll talk about it in the in the <laughs> at the end of the match. Um, cool. but uh, yeah. The, but the crap, like the the camera is literally shaking. Yeah, like you can feel yeah. like it's like the the whole world is shaking because of and like the the announcers talk about it. They're yeah. like, like I, this w- place I wish, is shaking.
0: I wish this was in like the HD era where we could get like HD yeah. and surround sound. To get that because it's one of those things like, again, when you watch like the World Series from from in the 90s or something like that, where like it's like you could tell it's super loud. but You can't really
1: feel it. Yeah. You know, in the way that like punk in Chicago at Money in the Bank. Right. Right. You can feel that very physically. Right. 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 Like
2: I remember going to the garden and seeing Brett come out and being in the cheap seats and feeling the rafters shake. And that's the only thing I could think of that, that's, that was what was happening there.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. part of the thing with the garden, right, is it's, of course, l- literally kind of on stilts, and so it, it does physically shake. Yeah, yeah like you if, can go if to a big concert. A go, you yeah, you get a that, big yeah. concert, you get that, yeah. um, which is always just. Can I just wait, mention? why you just go to the garden?
0: Just one kind of weird thing at the beginning, and I don't know it's quite a gripe, but so Goldust, right? Yeah, so Goldust so Gold is in this, and he's the first guy that speaks in the pre-match promo. Right. Um, and he's just Dustin Rhodes. He's talking like Dustin Rhodes. He's not referencing any of the the weird Goldust stuff. Once he gets in the room and locks up, they talk about him being the son of Dusty, and he's a Texan, and all this stuff. And like, kind of leading up to this, he'd been playing, but he'd just been full blown Dust Dustin Rhodes. But as Goldust, and then like later, maybe a year later, they do that kind of reboot as the artist formerly known as Goldust. So it's like they're doing this reboot. Like, I just don't understand why they just didn't let him be Dustin. Like, what? It's just so bizarre, especially now. Like, like why is he? Gold, why is he wearing that? He's, like, they're just talking openly that he's Dustin Rhodes. Like, Vince gonna Vince, I guess. It's just so, it's uh, They just didn't want to just
2: abruptly take it off of him, I guess, because he had been Gold Dust for a couple of years now. And, like, I guess the story wasn't, oh, it's Dustin Rhodes. The story was, Gold Dust is Dustin Rhodes, and you probably already knew that. Here's the transition to it. I mean, they messed it up by the yeah. end of it. And, like, and some of it was his fault for, like, not really being there himself. Well, and but-
0: then then they do the artist formerly in his Gold Dust, which is, like, this kind of soft reboot of the character. But you're, like... But he never stopped being gold dust. Yeah. <laughs> like, why does he need this reboot?
1: But that's a non-sequitur. Yeah. So the matches up, I mean, Austin Brett and Austin start. And yeah. the one thing I noticed I'd never really thought about and having even seen their, their matches against each other a million times, those guys throw punches in a very complementary way to each other. That like the they both kind of wind up and throw. And so there's just a certain visual that when they're brawling, it just looks really cool. They're both, I've always yeah. noticed that they're both really good at that. Yeah. Austin, especially.
2: I agree 100%. Like these days, when people want to do like an intense fist fight, they'll immediately do like the, the Fry Takeyama. We're both punching each other as hard as we can, as fast as possible. And honestly, I think that this, Austin and Brett, looks a lot more realistic. Yeah. And yeah. I think it looks a lot more like they're punching each other. And remember, the well, only reason that the Fry and Takiyama yeah. thing worked is that they were really punching each other. And uh, So unless yeah. you really want to get punched in the face 10 times, do Austin Brett. It's beautiful, right? The yeah. wind up for the cheap seats. Everyone could tell and it got yeah. over. I mean, they could have done anything and it would have gotten over in front of that crowd. Yeah. Brett was so <laughs> yeah. popular. It was incredible.
0: Well, it's also like the interesting, like playing to the cheap sheets that you can see that very early on, Austin just reveling in this ability to just place full-blown comedic heel to yeah. the cheap seats where he's like, he's you can tell he, he, him to himself, like thinking the way we know he thinks, he's probably like, I get who I am, but man, I got too much of a pop there on the intro. Like this is all on Brett. This is all on Brett. Like I've got to really be a cartoon character. And yeah. and I love that early on that he's just reveling in it. And another fun thing, right in the very beginning of the match, when it's still just Brett and Austin, the very, very beginning, they make reference to the documentary cameras right. yes. following <laughs> Brett around. Yes. which Of course is, is, oh, is the boy. wrestling with shadows camera. Of course. Kind of.
1: And this would be kind of like one of the last, uh, bright spots before. Uh, oh, I mean, after this in, in Brett's book, it's like if you were in the act of a movie. This is literally the end of Act Two, and then the all of Act Three is deeply depressing. <laughs> yeah, it's basically <laughs> literally all downhill from here from the hearts. Um, yeah, because it's but this moment, it's like, yeah, Austin is great. Um, yes. Uh, oh yes. Uh, and it. Austin very quickly. <laughs> it's unclear how much they'd planned of this match in advance and be interested to know actually if they talked about it but Austin very quickly like he gives Brett the shot he treats Brett like a baby face very quickly yeah and all of the guys except for Shamrock who eventually kind of gets it but all the other guys I mean you think about it, they'd, they'd worked heel and babyface and like mm-hmm. you know Dustin the LOD they very quickly kind of get it and see like oh like we're playing heel tonight and they adapt right. in this beautiful way where it's still true to their characters. They don't sort of sell out their characters, but they play heel. Yeah, it's right.
2: kind of easy for the LOD because they were just, uh, they were just destroyers anyway. And mm. it's, it's not a big stretch from destroyers that are baby faces to destroyers. And we don't care. You know, it was the difference between them and demolition really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they, they turned out, they turned up the demolition a little bit and right. Of course, Dustin can do anything. He still can do anything. Yeah, and uh, and Brett knew what was happening. I think they all knew what was gonna happen, and, and you're right. I think Austin was very happy to go out there and be like, "Oh, I can just do this tonight," you know, and and he did.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and and I mean, and the fans were just getting in on everything, right? Yeah, it was like every time one of the hearts got out of a move, they cheered. Every time there was a tag, they cheered. Every time they got a move, they cheered. They were just cheering everything and that's the There's a giant one. pop
1: for Pillman like spitting at a guy. Yeah. I think yeah. it's awesome. He it, just spits at him and he's like... And he, he gets. Up. there's a great moment right after that where he like grabs um, Shamrock and he just like taps his arm and he's like, he's tapping out, he's tapping out and just everyone loses, loses their mind. I love Pillman. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so
2: they do They do start like, not slow, but they do start as like a wrestling match but within a few minutes it like it becomes everyone kind of brawling. But it it's not like the chaos that happens sometimes where everyone brawls and you can't tell what's happening. It's very like over here something's happening and then there's a right. spot over here and then everyone comes together and it's all very, it, it's uh, not, very well done. Control it's not chaos.
0: That, that, that modern WWE style where like we have to incapacitate four guys on each side to make it a one-on-one match. It's not right. that at all. It's no. not a modern... like NP- JPW or ROH, eight or 10-man tag. It's not like that. It's this weird, interesting, like, again, you can see the 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 foundation of it becoming the Attitude Era and this kind of brawling style being the, the yeah. predominant way that main events were going to be. But they still had a lot of that traditional that, again, like, it all made sense. and It was this, like, action pieces, but then it would accordion back to a straight match where, like, nobody really overtly cheats on either side very much. Right. Uh,
2: yeah, Austin yeah. brings in the chair um, at one point. Yeah, but and Brett, Brett hits blow. him yeah. hits
0: him with the fire extinguisher. They, yeah, uh, in they, retaliation. They,
2: yeah. they fight as though it's kind of a street fight, but nobody's yeah. really like cheating, like you said, yes. because nobody's really trying to win until very deep into the well, match.
0: And by the way, and when Austin finally does get that chair, um, you have. As he gets it, Bruce Hart momentarily goes after him, which I don't think was scripted. I <laughs> actually had a moment. It's like, is
1: Bruce supposed to be involved? Uh, no Bruce was just there's, like, there's no way because uh, Austin basically I gotta just wrestle Austin. I got a main event against Austin. Yeah, guys. Austin.
0: Eh? Eh? Austin basically just pushes him off and immediately ignores it. And then he he does hit uh, Owen in the in the, the leg with with the chair, which actually gets so again. This Austin got a face pop coming out. And now they're going, Austin sucks, Austin sucks, where everyone's like, you could tell even the people wearing the Austin 316 shirts were like, God damn it, why did I wear this tonight? Like, I can (laughs) wear it tomorrow. Why did I have to wear it tonight? And then again, you could have had a riot if such a thing were possible in Canada.
2: So, so at no point during these brawls did anyone look dumb by not doing anything. I think that's right. the real difference yeah. between that and this. Also, there was no or
0: point Or being where... incapacitated for 10 minutes straight yeah. because they weren't required
1: of the story <sighs> of the match. Well, I yeah. the thing. the guys, when, when people do get incapacitated, they go to the back, right? They're
2: like, okay. Oh, it's, yeah. The... Owen and Austin both get injured at points in this match and have to leave. And, and they it, do. They're not just well, laying there. And, <laughs>
0: yeah. and get injured from stuff that in case it should cause injuries, right? right? One gets hit in the leg with a chair. The other gets hit in the leg repeatedly with a fire extinguisher. Like
2: yeah. it makes sense. And they both like gut it up and come back later on. And like, there are times that that can be done really poorly. Like, uh, like the Roman reigns, Royal rumble, where it's like from number one, he's going to tough it, except he's going to leave for the middle part. Well, and that's then because it's undermining win, the story, yeah. right? Like Completely he, it, undermining a story, exactly. This isn't undermining the story of either Austin, whose whole deal is that he's so tough he's not going to listen to the doctors anyway, or Owen, who for once in his life is beloved and has to be the gutsy good guy to come out, which yeah. he does, and, like, and that ends up being the, the finish of the match, is that... Brett doesn't get the pin. Right. Owen gets the pin. Well, and I
0: remember one of the biggest surprises, and gets the pin on Austin, on Austin right? was one of the a few times, times Austin yeah, got pinned. Right. I would have thought, like, that's why Goldust is there, right? It's like, yeah. to take the, you know, kind of that kind of thing. It's either Goldust or Neidhart is taking the fall here. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't end up being like that. And, and like, again, and, and there's another, there's a couple of different Austin sucks chants. The crowd's crazy that it's one of these things that, like, within, this is how long after WrestleMania 13. This is... Three months or so. Three months, yeah. So with a three month period, kind of Brett and Austin did two separate double turns and matches. <laughs> yeah. This one, admittedly, was for one night only. Yeah. but, You know, a future in your house title, I believe. One night, night only. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm thinking one night
1: stand. The ECW reboot. Yeah. yeah no, one night only was. Oh, that was no. That was the um the European show. Like a month you're later. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, with with it's... Davey against um against Sean. Um. Yeah, it's just an interesting, and it's like it's a hard match to kind of talk about because they they just sort of flow it very well. It's again, this is what we talk about these like, guys all being skilled professionals who've like done main events for years. Right. They just kind of flow in and out of each other, and there's not there's a couple of story moments. Right there's the part where um, again, Owen uh, Austin takes out Owen's knee, and Brett uh, takes out Austin's knee. Um, but other than that, they're basically just kind of like flowing in and out and sort of building to these moments, and it's like a very um, it's it's spectacular because of the crowd and the way they're playing the crowd and how it works. But as a match, it's just it's just really really good. You know.
2: Oh yeah, it helps when the crowd is playing along. But like uh, to the experience, like the the guys in the Legion of Doom, like they've done war games matches. They know how to keep a, a multi-person brawl where everybody's active, logical. And, like, to that point, you got to remember when War Games was a big thing in, like, the NWA War Games, it wasn't a one-night thing. They put one night on pay-per-view, and then they toured that around <laughs> the loop. So yeah. you did them 20 times in, like, 30 days. Yeah. So And they got that kind of experience. So what? guys don't get to do that kind of thing anymore just because of the nature of what Spot fests have become.
0: Well, and I also think that this being an in-your-house kind of makes it interesting, yeah. right? So for, for maybe younger fans that didn't know, like, in-your-house was – it's not like today, where you have like your big pay per views, like WrestleMania and SummerSlam, and then all, all the other pay per views are kind of equal and at a lesser standing. Like in your house was very overtly not the same thing as a pay per view. It, it was, was cheaper.
1: It was only twenty dollars. It, was,
0: it was, was only two
2: hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This show was under two hours, but there isn't a wasted minute on it, beginning yeah. to end. No,
1: it's, it's a great re- show, beginning to end for yeah. sure. Beginning to end, it's it's maybe one of the best shows of all time in terms of like there's literally no down points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like. Um, it starts with Taka and Sasuke and just kind of go. It's like, it's pretty crazy.
2: All right, the great Sasuke is on this show.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah. Oh, man. The
0: interesting thing with In Your House is that typically they were either time killers between bigger things, right? Yeah. Champion's Mm going to defend his title. We're not going to do it on Raw. We'll do it in your house, even if it's somebody we're not really building up that big a story with, or a waypoint on the way to the next story. So this match was very much a waypoint match, too that this is this larger thing with Austin and the hearts and particularly Brett. And that one of the interesting things it does is that it keeps getting crazy and these pull aparts, these big set pieces, but it always rubber bands back to, to Austin and to Brett uh, in the ring. And they, and they do lots of good segments. And like, you even do things that you didn't see a lot. Like you have Austin putting a sharpshooter, AEW fans, that's a uh, scorpion Deathlock uh, <laughs> on, on Brett. And the crowd just, again, hates it. Again, with the Austin <laughs> just working this, yeah. this heelish thing, they're just like, and of course, they would hate that spot a lot oh, more in the sports. near future. <laughs> but, um, you know, Vince was not close enough to the bell to do anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, because
1: because Vince, it's, it's uh, the commentary. Vince and and Jr. are very much like this is patriotism gone awry. It's like <laughs> what's wrong? And they're just cheering for. I mean, it's like yeah. But of course, that's Vince as you know. He's he's well, kind of a giant so, hypocrite as a commentator. Yes. So, well,
0: yes. I, I actually think that that's kind of the answer to how has Vince bungled every single homecoming? Is I think he this is the one he bungled. I think that this was <laughs> some of this is an accident and Brett's own force of will. Like obviously McMahon booked the match, made it the main event, but like I honestly don't think he had any idea that this was going to be as big
1: as it was. And that's interesting. That, that is that,
2: interesting. That he just
1: didn't see it. Like he saw that oh, it was gonna be big and they're gonna be the main event, but didn't expect like this is gonna be if we're if you're talking about great crowds all time, this is gonna be like top five or 10 or something. Right. Well, cause think about it, the ending and especially everything
0: after the ending is actually not that great. I feel like they bungled it. Like, so again, there's, there's a, uh, Austin gets involved with the larger group of Hart brothers. I think this time it is scripted. I think Bruce got yes. in the yeah. business for himself the first time this time. It's definitely scripted. They kind of hit him. He hits them. And then he goes back in the room and, and, and Owen immediately gets him with the, with the schoolboy. Which, tux. by the way, I'm not sure if Owen was the legal man. I lost track. I'm pretty sure he wasn't because yeah. I don't think he ever got tagged in after he comes back to the ring. What's the ref going to do?
1: Overturn it in Canada? Come on.
3: Yeah, come
0: on. <laughs> exactly. You can't overturn it in Canada. Not with, not with Stu Hart right there in the front row. But no, no. there's kind of like it's it's kind of a weak way to put them over. Like, yeah, Owen, it's Owen gets a pin on Austin. But it was a schoolboy roll-up, and there's kind of a brawl afterwards. You don't get that that really kind of big moment. There's no immediate celebration. Um, I, I think that it would have been more satisfying, again, to take Goldust or, or whoever, Animal, if you just had a more clean win. Also, by the way, this, and this is more personal um, – I regret that Neidhardt and Brett didn't hit a heart attack at any point during the match. <laughs> they do hit the heart double team elbow they, though, which is I know, nice. yeah. which is what that's when I wrote that, because I knew that they don't hit and I'm like, they should have done a heart attack. Yeah. If that was the finish, that would have been great. That would have been great. Yeah. Um but but yeah, it's just kind of this brawl kind of and I have to give credit to the Think that it's really once they they kind of have torn everyone mm. apart and all the American uh, guys are leaving, or at least for the moment. Think does get that that big moment where he's like, uh, the winners of the match the heart foundation yeah. and then the crowd gets that big pop but then even then it's just awkward there's no post-match promo at least none that's that aired on tv and it's just like you have again young teddy Hart, and and all yeah. the cousins and nieces and nephews and all that but like they're just kind of there and the show just kind of ends it's just it's, it's yeah like, it just doesn't seem like it was planned to be that big a thing and i even wonder even just the extended heart family coming in the ring was that even planned right
2: I would think that the extended heart family coming into the ring was probably planned. That was the big celebration for the crowd after like the brawl with Austin. Uh, as far as like the finish itself goes, yeah, it is a little flat just as a finish. But it was a ten-man tag team match. It wasn't like the big world title match. I think they wanted to heat up Owen. They wanted to get him a pin over Austin. And you know, like I keep saying, he pulled Austin's tights too. Like he was right. still Owen Hart, the heel that yeah. puts you know every little every little trick and every little move well, that he does. And I
0: think it, it works even best in the Hart Foundation yeah. context where he's surrounded by overachievers, right? right. And then his brother, obviously, being his and it, it, this icon by, by this point.
2: I think if they had, like, you know, knocked out Goldust with the heart attack and pinned him, it wouldn't have been nearly as impactful as Owen pinning Austin. And they probably could have heated that up, like, more and more, but that wasn't the point of the whole story. They were still telling Austin's story of he still doesn't really care about, like, winning or losing. He just wants but, to beat everyone up, what, and then he gets arrested. But what I'm saying is the <laughs> yeah.
0: schoolboy roll-up, nobody saw it coming and yeah. fans are excited and they pop when they gets the three count, but you don't get that one, two, yeah. three. That would have, I think like, that's what you do at WrestleMania, right? Yeah. Like that's how you really give the fans their moment. So again, maybe it was a WrestleMania, small, grade. though
2: it was, it was, it was Canadian but, stampede but at the I'm, end of a chaotic brawl where you couldn't really tell what was going on. But so even, I think it made sense I, to me. But I'm that, saying
0: even more so then yeah. why not, just let them have a clean win on somebody else. It doesn't have to be Austin. You can you can send them home happy. I'm saying if
1: if I think if, if the premise is Owen. that you're going to make this a historical Canadian show, yeah. Yeah, but I think I actually think it's it's a maybe a little tweak. I mean, if you're if you're really trying to maximize it, maybe you just give Owen a bit more of a demonstrative kind of cradle thing to really kind of make yeah. the moment like like pop. But I do think the story with o, with Austin coming back and then Owen, yeah. and then Owen pinning Austin is perfect. And I don't think yeah. he needs to pin Austin in this very dramatic way, but I think you're right that like, no, no. And, and I'm <laughs> saying for the
0: nar the overall larger narrative, I a hundred percent agree with you for this one night is what I'm, what I'm arguing yeah. against. Yeah. If you really wanted to make this, this big night that everyone in Calgary remember forever, which
2: clearly it was, it it was they, anyway. They anyone that was that there was in the, the arena thing. that
0: night, I'm sure still talks fondly it, about that night.
2: They, he had to, he had to do a quick roll up because it had to be at a moment where everyone else in the match was distracted or they just would have broken it up. That's it's supposed fair. to be a, like you don't expect it happening and then it happens. And everyone was happy with it. Well, I'm so still filing
0: an injunction that, that right. Owen was not the legal man.
2: <laughs> well, they did. Are, are, are you saying they screwed Austin?
1: That's
0: right.
2: All right. There we go. Austin screwed Austin. That's Austin why Vince has to
0: premeditately do the Survivor Series things. These arts, these hearts in Canada, you can't trust them.
1: No. They're hucksters. <laughs> They're going to pull some crazy shit. He couldn't take that risk. I will say though, watching the TV after this, they I I recall them showing that pin so many times, like they they use that to build up Owen. Um, And it kind of works as that moment of like, there's so much chaos happening around, and they're they're really good all those guys at making the brawl feel really chaotic that it feels like like everything's going nuts, and then it just sort of like centers on this moment, like Owen rolls him up. yeah, it's a cool Well, uh, they
0: also have the weird thing after the match where Austin goes back by himself to brawl with everyone and kind of gets some of his heat back, which also is is perplexing. I guess the fans do get, like, because he gets cuffed by someone yeah. whose role isn't clear. Well, not yeah. a cop, not a Mountie, but someone
1: <laughs>
2: handcuffs Just him. some
1: Canadian with handcuffs. Some Canadian fine. with
0: handcuffs. I, it's I like one him. of the, the like off-duty Hart brother- police officers
2: i liked him bending over and giving the finger with his hands oh yeah because handcuffed behind his back like (laughs) austin will not give up even handcuffed and going up and yeah he he went by himself to show that once the match was over the rest of his team wasn't that invested in just beating up the hearts they wanted to try and win the match and then i think that was the pop for the rest of the heart family to come and take out austin true yeah. Because the crowd was very aware of all the other Hart brothers and so on in the front row. And that was kind of their moment. And then they dragged Austin away. And then they had the great family moment. They brought in and, Stu and Helen.
0: And I did want to bring up, yeah. this is this is Austin's bird use, maybe at its best. Yes. Because he's, you know, he would do it as a face. Obviously, it became his thing. But, like, he actually gives really vitriolic middle fingers to the audience right yeah. in the beginning. And I think I also buried the lead when he does put the uh, sharpshooter on Brett. He does the thing where he locks the legs, stops... And then bends over to give double birds right in (laughs) Brett's face is exceptional. It's exquisite. The man
1: is a national treasure. Just beautiful. Um, Go watch this match if you haven't seen it. It's a a very, um, but try and put yourself in the mindset of like a great sports game that you've been to where like the crowd was really sort of for the home team. Cause that's what this is like. And it's a very visceral thing. And if you give yourself over to that, that's what I think makes this such a, a moment, like as a match, it's great. But as like a crowd and just a feeling, it is insane.
2: Yeah, it's a singularity among itself. It's like going to see a really high level exhibition game, like like a bowl game that isn't like tied to the season or something. Yeah, um, with the or, best teams, or you know what, you
0: know? it's it's like when they take like the team that won the World Series in baseball, yeah, and they'll usually play a series against the All Star team in Japan. Yeah, afterwards. Exactly. and it's like the American team's just kind of there. And they're pretty sure they're gonna win anyway. But like, if the Japanese team gets an early lead, those fans are just going ape shit. So like <laughs> yeah. one side is just some random exhibition just in your house, whereas the other one's like, no, if we win, they're gonna make a movie about
1: this. Right. And <laughs> yeah. they literally did. They- <laughs> yeah. Yes. And again, it's it's the high point before lots lots of bad things happen in the hearts, but you know. This was the this and, is one of the best moments. And if
0: you're not familiar with this is our <laughs> book. Read Brett's
1: book or watch uh, Wrestling with Shadows, that doesn't cover That's all right. of it. It covers oh, the first the next few months. Um, my recommendation with Brett's book, don't read it on a beach like I did. It's a really no. <laughs> just a really weird way to spend time on a beach.
2: Yeah, no, it's like a long maybe book too.
1: Is long. read it like you'd read like Dostoyevsky
0: or something. Just like get some <laughs> vodka, read it in a cold, dark room and you'll get the main vibe.
2: I really liked the uh, the celebration at the end with the whole family. I thought that was about as about as uh, wholesome as you could get in a WWF show. Possibly the last wholesome thing they would do for four or five years yeah. uh period, you know, with all the all the kids and all the cousins and like the the extra pop when they got Stu Hart up and over. Yeah. To, he had only been dead for 3 or 4 years at this point, so he was <laughs> yeah. moving pretty well to get him into the ring. And, you know, he kind of moved and, his forearms and a little bit. as soon as
0: Jerry Lawler gave puppies a catchphrase, it would never be this whole never. 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 I
2: can't believe he's still on Raw. Yeah, it's uh, relaxing. Not that I watch he's, Raw he's, regularly he's like, anymore. Is yeah, not, not not Jerry Lawler like Stu yeah. at
1: this point? Jerry Lawler is like is like Stu's. Jerry Lawler's face would look like Stews if not for the plastic surgery. Yes, it should. Yes. He, Jerry Lawler really should look like He doesn't
2: like have a nose anymore. <laughs> just, he uh, just drives around yeah. Memphis in his imitation Batmobile and gets plastic surgery.
1: But I will tell you, if you wear a Jerry Lawler t-shirt around Memphis, people give you things. That's what I learned recently. Yep. I actually got, got into a tour of sun studios that was sold out because I was wearing a Jerry Lawler t-shirt. Really? So just hat tip, buy a Jerry Lawler t-shirt before you go to Memphis. That's great. No, just wear it around. Um, <laughs> that's, that's uh, our, that's it for our new segment, Chris's travel advice. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about the hearts in the wrap up. So, um, you know it's coming up on uh, on Christmas, the holiday season, the holiday yeah. season, and of course, you know after the day after Christmas, um, many would call around the world. Americans don't call it this, but uh, Boxing Day. Yeah, um, huge in Canada, huge in Canada. Huge, Canada. Yes. Canada, yeah. So we wanted to imagine what um, things might be like at Hart House on Boxing Day. What mm. what gifts might be being received? And um, I'll just leave it up. Facts, so you can you can start. Is there any? Um, any, anything you're imagining and you're understanding of what the heart House might well, be like? Yeah,
3: I
0: mean, back in this era, in like the '90s, especially maybe a little bit before this earlier '90s, uh, with Neidhart and, and Bulldog around, probably lots of little baggies, little
3: <laughs> little baggies
0: with
1: residue, uh, white residue. Um, but so it's no. also a box and more of a packet.
0: Yeah, yeah, so. more of a packet. But but you know, the big thing about Boxing Day, right, is is that it's like the the boxes from the previous day, right? They mm. mean, and uh, so I think that that young. Young uh, Teddy Hart and young Natalia, the boxes themselves were, were the greatest gift because they could have kitty cats that could go in them. Cats love boxes. <laughs> Even at that age, they, they, they had that like kitties being confused with all the boxes everywhere, wrapping paper everywhere. So I think that that was just the thing is that, that, that all, you know, Teddy and Natalia would
1: just really love just watching the cat's go leap in and out of boxes. Well, and of course, then um, once the cats were done, Teddy would do a moonsault off the box. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes of yes. course. Well, and cats are very agile, so he might have learned some of his, like Like I could see my, one of my cats giving another of my cats a Canadian Destroyer. Yeah, he's I could quick as a cat. I could see Ooh. it. And, you know, but Brett, um, Brett would never actually spend the holidays at Hart House, but uh, he would always get himself a, a nice new affair. Uh, so that was
2: too soon. Uh, no, no, just on the nose is all. Oh. <laughs> there you go.
0: What do, you, what do you think? What do you... Uh, well, I think,
2: uh, I think by, by uh, Christmas that year, Owen Hart, uh, and this is, this is a scoop because people didn't know what happened to this. I think Owen Hart would have stolen Shawn Michaels' smile and wrapped it up and <laughs> given it to Brett.
3: <laughs> mm, yeah, I think that's the yeah.
2: best gift Brett could have gotten from it's his true. little brother Owen there. Um, stole that smile. Just stole it and gave it to him. And Shawn, you know, dropped the title with it. Uh, <laughs> so
0: wait, does that mean Owen was a was a Marine in Upstate New York in Syracuse, or uh, am yes. I conflating my? Okay.
2: I think you're conflating them a little bit, but yeah. you know, I don't know. If you want some fun, look up Shawn Michaels' title history and count the number of times he actually lost a title <laughs> to somebody else. It's a short list. Um, yeah. Uh, I, w- I would get Jim Neidhardt a thesaurus i don't he, he said like he, he's like a pull string doll he said three <laughs> phrases and i think if he had expanded that a little more he could have been a bit more versatile the crazy thing is that vince
1: put him on commentary for a while that's yeah, a real yes, that you can go find those shows from 1991 anvil on commentary uh not great didn't last oh, long
2: <laughs> he did the same thing with hacksaw jim duggan and Jim Duggan was a little better, but he had to completely break character in order to say anything intelligent. Same with Hillbilly Jim. They also do that. It's
1: like, uh, we got Hillbilly Jim here talking about this match and Hillbilly's like, uh, am I supposed to actually talk about the match here? Am I supposed to talk about Mudlick, Kentucky the, for yeah. three hours? That's not, I shouldn't do Bill that. Hillbilly right.
2: Jim's a very smart uh, individual. I don't know if you ever watched Legends House. I was just about to bring that up. Because
0: yeah. I mean, him, Hacksaw's on that too. And Hacksaw's they both, on that too, They actually too, seem yeah. like two of the smartest guys that know the business and are really, that is just totally, they're the two that just do not match their on-screen personas
1: not at, at all. all. No.
2: George the Animal Steel, I think most famously, who's like <laughs> incredibly erudite man who's... Oh, yeah. man. He considered himself to be a completely different person when he was in the wrestling business than when he wasn't, which caused him big problems when he went from being into the wrestling business three, four months out of the year to full-time <laughs> mm. in his 40s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would I would really like to give uh, all of the Hart girls a lot of just sympathy <laughs> for all the stuff <laughs> just that, just that their huns. men had to give just them over the... <laughs> poor Brett's wife and, like, poor Diana Hart and, like... the. Her fate and all of their just a series of sad, sad stories and just. Well, Diana yeah. Hart seems
0: like a legitimately terrible human being, but yeah, you you're know, like you're like not to say that anyone deserves anything. You're like the, the but
1: but the box is empty. It's like no no. My gift no. to you is this hug.
2: Yeah yeah. So, <laughs> it's very sincere. Looking back on it all,
1: <laughs> well, and I think also like some of the the
0: older Hart brothers too that they have this weird, like that that Owen played it up in the character, but I don't think Owen ever actually had, but they have these weird inferiority complexes
1: of like my baby brother.
0: You think he's, he's not even the good heart. Well, that's why every
1: year, every year, uh, Brett did come to hard house. He would give, um, Bruce and Wayne and Dean, um, a a belt that said real world champ. And that's, um, (laughs) it was their favorite gift. And, uh, he would just get the same one every year and they, you know, they'd forgotten about it out of anger each time. Um, so every time they were just, they were super excited. Um, or they'd sell it off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think the the big gift, um, I I think the only gift when you think about Brett, right? What do you, what do you give the guy who has everything? Yeah. And I just, my personal assumption is that every year people come to Brett and they gift him a copy of his own book. (laughs) Yes. I (laughs) was Hitman, Um, my Uh, real life in the cartoon world of wrestling. And he just, he smiles and he says, it's a good one.
2: And that's that's a good one. Yeah. I read this one. Oh yes, I'll read it again. I'll oh. autograph it for myself. It's the best
1: book there, there ever you was. Go.
2: To it's a ten out of ten. Let's go
1: to the to the best from <laughs> the best to the best there is from the yes. best there ever was. <laughs> exactly, it's exactly where I was going with that one. Yeah. You're the best there ever will be.
2: Like, I, I still love Brett, but, man, he takes himself way too seriously. Oh, yeah. Like, he's the last guy who, like, really thought that wrestling was real. And, like, if you watch Wrestling with Shadows, like, everybody in it sounds insane. Well, like, and that's just, why. Just do the match. And, like, a, a wrestler refusing to lose to me, as someone who's been in the wrestling business for 11 or 12 years, is like if you're doing a, a production of Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> and Romeo goes up to the director and says, Hey, you know, can we just survive at the end of this? Like, it's I kind it of better. a downer. I think, mm-hmm. like, if if like we both survive, and then like I give a big speech about how we're in love and we kiss, can we do that? Like, no, no, you can't. That's not the story. And yeah. if you don't want to do that, somebody else will play Romeo. We don't need you. You know, they didn't need Hogan. They didn't need Brett. Why did this thing eventually a- got rid of him? And it was unfortunate.
1: As yeah. a fan, though, there's mm-hmm. something that is charming about the guys that take themselves seriously if they really are at a certain level where yes. it, it kind of works, right? That, like, as, as you become knowledgeable, more knowledgeable about the business, and I'm sure, again, someone who's been in the business, you go, like,
2: there is, there is- that's
1: absurd. But, like, I love Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas took the business way <laughs> too seriously. But, like, the fact that he, he was like, the, the franchise wouldn't do that. There's something that comes across on screen about that that yeah. I think really works as a fan of like, yeah, like I'm with oh, that guy. I think
0: on screen it, it can work really well. But like with Brett, like I don't think it's a big coincidence that by 97, you know, he'd been the biggest star in the company for years. And yet um, when he needed a traveling partner, he would go to either his brother or or one of his brother-in-laws. No one <laughs> yeah. else. Would. Whereas you always hear these stories about obviously the click. We know they're the click. The Undertaker had this massive posse of, yeah. of, of people that he was friends with. Everyone loved Austin. Like, it's
2: Apparently, like Brett's yeah. the one guy that's like, Ford Swaggle and mind. the great Kali used to ride together. Mm. That and, would be uh, a
0: great visual if they, you were a cop that pulled them over for oh, speeding. Yeah. <laughs> Just
2: pull, pulling them up, pulling over into uh, into gas stations and getting out to pee and whatever. Just there's this <laughs> tiny guy, and oh my god, this <laughs> and then the little guy's doing the talking. <laughs> you hope. I would hope. You hope. <laughs> Um, if
0: he was sober enough to, I don't know.
2: But like, yeah, to to your point, Brett did not make a whole lot of really close friends because he did take himself way too seriously, and and like the it's not even like an old school new school thing. The whole point when when uh when when Ed the Strangler Lewis became you know who he was in the the early part of the twentieth century with the you know the Goldust Trio him and you know his manager Billy Sandow and the promoter Toots month. He could actually beat anybody, right, and because he could actually beat anybody, he could lose right. You needed to lose because then you can promote the next match, yes mm-hmm. and that was that was the story, and Brett probably could beat anybody. You ever notice at like the Montreal screw job as soon as the bell rings, Brett shoots his arm backwards, yanks on sean's uh Brett rather uh, shoots his arm backwards, yanks on Sean's ankle and he's out of the sharpshooter because yeah. he knows and was ready to counter that hold the whole time. Yeah. But he wouldn't cause it was a work, but not that night. Yeah. And you know, that's, but I, I do dig what you're saying about how, you know, people who take themselves seriously are good. There's, there's a limit and there oh, is yeah. a skill level. Cause I found that the people in my experience who take themselves way too seriously, have no business doing so like Shane Douglas was very good and probably could have been a bigger star if he backed it off just a little bit mm. but he was very mm. good Brett of course made it to the top but he never felt like he was the top because he never attained the heights of Hogan did
0: right but and he you was get that, by the way, pop- reading his book you very yeah. much get that yeah but he was
2: never the pop culture phenomenon that Hogan was and that wasn't because Vince didn't push him or give him the title. Hogan wasn't champ for years because Vince decided he would be. Hogan was the champ for years because he was that over. Yeah, like right. Brett was that over in New York and in Canada, but he wasn't in that Germany over. over. Yeah. And in Germany, but you know, I went Germans to love David Hasloff and Bret Hart. You know why I went to a bunch of Bret Hart house shows when I was a kid is because I could get cheap tickets day of, <laughs> and I, I hate to hate to minimize yeah, that man. kind of thing, but I could get cheap tickets day of. He wasn't selling the place out. The people that yeah. were going there loved him. But, you know, there was a huge increase in sales at the time the Ultimate Warrior came back and did a loop. Not when Brett was around. I the, mm-hmm. saw the Ultimate Warrior do the match where he broke Owen's wrist by, you know, gorilla pressing him and then just dropping
3: him. <laughs> oh,
2: uh, but no, and Owen a cast for seven or eight months, as, as Jim Ross once put it. You'd get bone marrow transplant surgery and be recovered <laughs> in enough time. That was always great. But, yeah, that's uh, the unfortunate Dr. side James of Brett Ross, Hart. Yeah. Yeah, the un, the unfortunate side of Bret Hart is that he, he needed to he needed to bend a little more and he didn't, and so he well, broke. And he had that mm. kind of personality yeah.
0: that might have been more successful in quote unquote real in real sports, right? Like, yeah. like a Tiger Woods or even honestly a lot of professional athletes that they they just don't have a personality other than like winning and being successful and being yeah. the best, and they seem like insufferable people that you'd never want to spend time with voluntarily. Like
2: Brock Lesnar. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I yeah. saw an article about his daughter today. Apparently, she just signed with a major university for shot put. Because she's one of the top shot putters in the country. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, she looks she probably... just like her daddy. Yeah, and... Is
1: she the... Uh, she might be the second greatest shot putter in the history of wrestling, if she ever...
2: Uh, behind Jim the Anvil. Now, behind thought... the Anvil. Oh, yeah. I did yeah. mention <laughs> on commentary
1: here, that's how he got his nickname. Yep. Former Facts Fact. There you go, man. All right, well... At that time, yeah. Is it? It's yeah. been well. And Doc, tell
2: us uh, where we can find you on the internet. Oh, okay, yeah. So if I have a minute to to plug my mm-hmm. plugs, um, you can find me on Twitter at dr diamondfire. That's at Doctor Diamondfire. You know, follow me at me, uh, book me on your shows. I like to do commentary. I do ring announcing. Um, I can wrestle. Um, currently, these days, I'm appearing for extremely serious wrestling. It's XSW. I also do commentary for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in, Intense Wrestling Alliance out in New Jersey. I'll be. Uh, making a- appearances for star pro. I'm not sure exactly when this is dropping, but those are kind of ongoing. Yeah. Google all of that support your local indies. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main project right now is my own podcast called contesting wrestling that I do with two other great guys, Evan Burke and professor Benjamin Abelson, who I talked a little bit about that at the top of the show. It's great. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we're on most, you know, major podcasting catchers, you know, that, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, what have you find us, give us a shot. Um, tell us what you think. You can follow that at contesting W and that is about everything I have to plug right now. I'm sure I'm forgetting something major, but, uh, but that's okay. Yeah, it's because okay because we're human, okay. and, and humans are flawed people. Don't don't take
0: yourself too seriously. I'll tell you hey, that's, that's what we've learned today. You should hey,
2: see my wrestling yeah. outfit. I don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> I take yeah. myself very seriously in XSW, but I think that's mostly for contrast. That's the joke. Yeah, yeah.
1: There you go. Um, and you should see there. Doc had an amazing match with uh, another guest of ours, the Big Floss Man, oh, yeah. um, and at the August show. The a, t- a tooth extraction match. Yeah, it was very. Um, and again, it's like about wrestling, right? It's like it's about the commitment, and like it's yeah. very. Um, you guys don't you didn't I don't want kayfabe didn't actually extract any teeth. Um, but very very, very <laughs> it okay. feels very visceral and you guys uh, pull it off very well.
2: Well, one of the I things know. I like about XSW in, in specific is that since it is like done in a comedy club with uh, with comedians, the kayfabe of it is very different than you get on um, like indie <laughs> wrestling, where again people take themselves way too seriously. Although there there is something more to be said for that when you are at an indie show than when you're at a, an XSW show. But yeah, me and uh, me and the big floss man. Came you up know, with some good stuff and I think we executed it well. We had been we had been feuding for months and this was the blow off and it was a good one. And I'm very happy with it.
1: You had excellence of execution. <laughs> As did Brett.
2: Beautiful. Beautiful. A, thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Thank you, Facts. Thank, thank you, the both Chris. of you guys. Yeah. We've been the curtain jerks. Adios.
3: has been an Atlantic Transmission production.